You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to another edition of Further Together, the ORU podcast. I am Michael Holtz with my colleague... Jenna Harpenau. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm really good. Really good. Um, We have two of our favorite... I know we say this every Every episode. Yep. Every episode. Two of our favorite people on the phone, actually. This is another new breakthrough. Like, we had a groundbreaking episode last (laughs) week because we were off-site... And this week we're on site, but our guests are off site. Uh-huh. So, and we're we're uh, broaching a topic we haven't really discussed much no. on here. So, and as communications professionals, we're kind of excited. Yeah, about yeah, it's kind of so, close to our hearts. Absolutely. Here. <laughs> so we have on the phone Kristen Matson and Jennifer Reynolds, um, and. Christian and Jennifer, I'm going to let you all just introduce yourselves a little bit. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay, thanks, Michael and Jenna. Uh, this is Kristen Matson. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on the podcast. Jennifer and I are definitely really excited. I'll go ahead and introduce myself first and then let Jennifer introduce herself. So uh, I am a master's certified health education specialist here at ORU and one of our project managers in our health communication and marketing group. I do a lot of work that involves developing communication strategies and developing education and promotion materials to promote various public health topics like nutrition, physical education, vaccines, and substance abuse prevention. I'm also a certified qualitative researcher and an expert in social social media strategy, and I also do social media training. So a little bit of background about me. I actually started my career by obtaining a bachelor's in micromolecular biology, thinking I'd go to medical school. And after undergrad, I spent some time teaching high school biology and high school math and also working at a hospital, which is where I was actually exposed to the field of public health. Okay. So after a few years of working night shifts at the hospital, (laughs) I actually decided I'd go to graduate school to get a master's in public health. And um, funny story, so I chose the University of Tennessee because they had a non-thesis program. And I was like, no, I don't like to do research or writing, which is really funny because that's basically what I do here now, and I love it. So um, at the end of my master's program at the University of Tennessee, I was lucky enough to land an internship here at ORU, and I'm actually going to be celebrating my official 10-year anniversary as a full-time employee in November. Wow. So it's very exciting. That's awesome. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Well, um, thank you for having us on. Um, I am Jennifer Reynolds, and I am the Section Manager for Health Communication, Marketing, and Media at ORU. And I have the huge pleasure to manage a large portfolio of projects, um, as well as manage this gifted staff that we have of researchers, health communicators, educators, and evaluation specialists. 
Um, this is actually my 12th year at ORU, and I remember that because I got married the same year. <laughs> so I can never leave ORU because I need to be able to remember that, to remember my wedding anniversary. So thank you for those reminder emails that you said. Um, awesome. I actually cut my teeth in public health working in global health. So working in Malawi and Zambia doing HIV and TB prevention work. And then when I went and got my master's in public health at San Diego State University in California, I actually started working um, with women and children on a variety of public health issues, including autism. And one of the most evidence-based treatments for autism is actually applied behavior analysis, which really focuses on understanding and modifying behavior through science. And so I, it was a wonderful training for what we do day in and day out at ORU, which is use health communication to empower people to make healthier decisions and also in hopes to ultimately change behavior. Wow. There's, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, basically, in, in both your career, both of your career trajectories, but then also in the, the large portfolio of subject matter that you all work in here at ORU. And as we do this, I know you'll be in Atlanta. Um, to uh, you're at you you're at the tell me what the the name of the conference is again. It's the communication health communication. Yes, it is. And it's Sorry. a tough acronym. So it is the <laughs> National Conference on Health Communication, Marketing, and Media, NCHCMM, <laughs> and it is in Atlanta, Georgia. It's typically held in Atlanta every year for our CDC clients and partners, and it will be kicking off bright and early tomorrow morning, and we have a booth right as you walk in the exhibit hall. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Um, so while you're there, I know at the booth, you'll be talking about three specific um, topic areas that you all have done a lot of work in. Um, let's talk a little bit about those, um, if we could. So we would love to talk about that. Kristen, do you want to kick us off with talking a little bit about School Health Branch? Thanks. Yeah, Jennifer. So uh, we are very excited to be able this year to feature our work with School Health Branch. Um, We have uh, had almost a decade-long relationship with them, and they're within the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So their role, the School Health Branch's role, is to support health education agencies, school health administrators, teachers, and, and other school health professionals. And they provide them with technical assistance, resources, and other tools that really aim to improve the health and well-being of, of children and adolescents in schools. So throughout the years, we've supported them in many of their initiatives and helped to create and evaluate a variety of, of resources, including some online training and professional development series for teachers and um, a really cool tool called the Virtual Healthy Schools. We've also supported them in the promotion of their work to their various audiences. And this is one of the uh, projects that I am responsible for managing is, is their communication and promotion work. So one of the ways in which we promote their work is by creating 
stories that feature programs and initiatives that are made possible by school health funding. Um, just to give you an example of one of those programs, um, and I'll use our, our home state of Tennessee here, we, CDC School Health Branch actually funded uh, the state of Tennessee to um, create some school health programming. And what the state of Tennessee decided to do with that funding was to use it to hire more staff so that they could increase the capacity to conduct student health screenings for things like vision and hearing, blood pressure, and, and body mass index. Cool. So because they do these screenings and were able to do more of them, they were able to identify student health concerns really early and address those concerns so that they could improve student health. And they actually, you know, reported that, that student behavior and student attendance was actually improved as well. So these stories have always been written success stories, and they house them on the CDC website. But we know that the truth is people actually don't like to read anymore. <laughs> um, so people are increasingly preferring to get their information via video or in audio form, such as this podcast. So we actually really encourage School Health Branch to create some video uh, success stories so that they could highlight some of this great work in another format. So we worked with them last year to create videos featuring four state grantees, including Lori Paisley with the Tennessee Department of Education. Um, and we also know after we created these four wonderful videos that just because you build it doesn't mean people will come. <laughs> So we always know in health communication that there has to be a dissemination and promotion plan in place sure. when you're doing health communication. So to promote these videos and the work that School Health Branch does and the great work of these grantees, uh, we decided that a social media hashtag campaign would be a really cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, this helped to create a lot of buzz and it got school health agencies and organizations across the U.S. posting about school health on social media. And they also, because they were involved in this campaign, they were watching our videos and sharing the links to the videos. So just to give you a little bit of background, if you're not really familiar with what a social media hashtag campaign is, um, what we did here at ORU is, is we created shorter 30-second videos and content for CDC to share on their Facebook and Twitter channel. Mm -hmm. So the videos as well as the, the Facebook and Twitter posts asked people to answer the question, what does a healthy school look like to you? And we instructed them that by, by participating in this campaign, we really wanted them to use the hashtag CDC Healthy Schools. So that actually, putting that hashtag in their social media posts allowed us to track that content and be able to see really quickly by just searching hashtag CDC Healthy Schools what other people were saying um, when they were answering the question, what does a healthy school look like to you? So we had a ton of participation. It was really cool to see how many organizations from across the U.S. and, and individual schools um, post about what a healthy school looks like to them. We had people create some really cool uh, videos of themselves and their students answering the question. 
Um, it was really successful, and we participated here at ORU as well. Some of our staff recorded what they think a healthy school looks like, and we posted that on our own ORU social media channels. So the hashtag was actually only supposed to run, um, the hashtag campaign was only supposed to run two weeks, but it was really great. Um, because it was so successful, CDC leadership actually asked the school health branch to continue it for a full month. So they continued to post those videos and um, links to the full length two minute plus videos that we created for them, as well as you know the just uh, regular social media, Facebook and Twitter posts asking people to participate. Um, but in that first month, the hashtag campaign actually received almost 9 million impressions on oh Twitter alone. <laughs> wow. So great. Yeah. Um, it also received uh, 1,500 mentions across Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and blogs, which was actually really cool because we only intended the campaign to run on, on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that's those are the two channels that CDC used to promote the campaign and to share the videos. Um, but it was really cool to see content on Tumblr and blogs that people created because we told them they could use whatever social media channels um, they used. Um, and also the videos themselves, the full-length, longer videos that we were linking to throughout the campaign, those received more than a thousand views on CDC's YouTube channel. So we were really, really excited about that, as was CDC's School Health Branch, because they actually nominated us for a CDC award in creative communication for the mm-hmm. whole campaign. So we were really excited about that. CDC was really excited. It created a ton of buzz and a lot of like really good content that CDC can actually use in the future. All these individual schools and organizations sharing their own stories. So that's really cool user-generated content, which is the term we like to use, that CDC can repurpose in a variety of ways in the future. What a successful campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, we're really proud of it. And that it has legs beyond the time frame of the campaign, Mm -hmm. which, you know, as communicators is something we all, (laughs) we all hope for, right? So... Absolutely. Um, another issue that you're talking about and is certainly um, very large and prominent in the news is the, the whole opioid addiction crisis. Um, and you all have done a lot of work um, around communication strategies, around stigma and social media and all of those sorts of things. Talk a little bit, um, Jennifer, if you would, about some of the work that you've done in that area. Absolutely, Michael. Um, I I think you're right. Uh, We are hearing more and more about opioids every day, and I really do think that a decade from now we are going to look back on this time um, and and see it as a public health crisis similar to the HIV epidemic Mm -hmm. in the 80s. I, I really do think that it is a time in public health of that level of significance. And so we are so honored to be a part of um, several different initiatives to address the opioid crisis. Um, Where we really have spent the bulk of our time is really doing community-based intervention work to support local community solutions to addressing opioids, whether that is prevention or treatment. 
And so we started this work actually on behalf of CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control and the Appalachian Regional Commission. So we had two, a total of four years of projects for them um, that focused on sort of this community capacity building. So we did a literature review um, and an environmental scan. And for, I think a lot of people are familiar with what a, a literature review is. You look to see what's published and peer reviewed. Um, but in a topic like opioids that is changing so fast, often it really is important to look at some of that gray literature, to look what's out there that may not be published or peer reviewed yet, that we can find to help us inform our strategies in real time until sort of the science can catch up to what people are doing on the ground. So we did a lot of that. We also did formative research. We did interviews and focus groups with expert health communicators working at the state and local level. We also did focus groups with community members, including individuals who had opioid use disorders that had received treatment and were in recovery. And we think that's so, so important. And we really are encouraging everyone we can to consider that as a key audience. Um, We absolutely must be destigmatizing this topic and including people who have suffered from addiction in helping us come up with solutions. Um, So that's one piece. (laughs) Um, We wrote a report that, thank you, Michael, for helping us um, promote and scream from the rooftops because we're so proud of it. And it's called Communicating About Opioids in Appalachia, Challenges, Opportunities, and Best Practices. And we will have a few copies of that at the booth if anyone wants to check it out. (laughs) Um, And then it's very exciting. Recently, we have been invited by... um, some of our university partners to be a part of some grant initiatives to really tackle overdose deaths. Um, And we will hopefully do a whole separate episode on that maybe one day soon. Mm. We absolutely can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the, the last issue, and I know you'll probably have other, you know, information beyond these three issues, but the last major issue you'll be sharing with folks at the conference um, revolves around the work you're doing with vaccine hesitancy and social media and kind of the role that social yeah. media may or may not play as, you know, as mm-hmm. your research may bear out um, on that particular issue. So talk about what you're doing there. Yes, and, and thank you so much um, for bringing that up. And, and I know that you you have the opportunity to talk with Diane Krause Tomorrow, um, yes. who was our lead analyst for, for that work and um, one of our social listening experts. So that work actually involved uh, social listening, which is a really cool field. And I'm really excited that you're going to talk to Diane, who can get into a lot more specifics about that capability and sort of how we've used it for this vaccine work, but also in some of our opioid work that that Jennifer mentioned and how we really see it as a capability and and something that needs to be included as uh, part of every project that involves um, formative research. So uh, if it would be okay, I'd love to sort of save that as a teaser (laughs) and let Diane talk about that work. 
Okay, that sounds great. We'll be talking to her in the morning, so um, we can make that happen. All so, right. Well, um, Jennifer and Kristen, that is all we have for you today. So thank you so much for spending this little bit of time with us. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to be in Atlanta. Stop by. Yeah, stop What's by. your booth number? Do you know? Man, I knew you were going to ask that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I could oh give it to you and Diane can tell you, but um, we are right. We're the first booth on the left when you walk in. Perfect. Oh, easy so peasy. You have to pass by us to get to lunch. Oh, <laughs> nice. Even nice. better. All right. <laughs> well, thank you awesome. both so much That's for taking this time. It's all about promotion. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Sure thing. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Diane Krause, welcome to the Further Together podcast. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay. Well, so I'm a health education specialist at ORAU, and I'm educated and trained in public health as well as nutrition. So I have two master's degrees in these areas. Um, and I'm certified in public health, and um, I'm also a registered dietitian nutritionist. So awesome. at ORAU, <laughs> thanks. Um, at ORAU, I um, work on assessing the strategic value of health and technical information and the ways that it's presented in different kinds of products. So I'll analyze um, qualitative research data um, and then contribute to the development of products like websites, online trainings, and mobile apps. And then some of the data that I analyze are social media messages, um, such as tweets that are sent over Twitter. Okay. And so is that, I know you do a lot of social listening work. Is that um, part of, I assume that's part of what social listening is and and the skill set that you bring to the social media area? Yes, it is. And with social media listening, we're wanting to understand what people are saying about health topics. And we want to inform our customers like the CDC, um, on how to communicate with the different kinds of people they're trying to reach when they're providing various health information or responding to misinformation that's out there. Gotcha. So, so you're helping better respond to or better educate and also respond to health-related issues, essentially. Yeah, that's right. Yes, we're interested in in where people have conversations about health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's common knowledge that people talk to others using social media, and they're talking about health on social media as well. So in addition to our other kinds of formative research, like surveys and focus groups, interviews, environmental scans, um, reviewing published literature, we're trying to um, develop in our capability of using social listening um, to be able to hear what are people saying basically unfiltered to the people in their 
online social networks. That is absolutely fascinating to someone who works in the social media space every day. So I love that you're doing that. Um, one of the projects, it, kind of the, the latest project anyway that I'm aware of, um, relates to social media and uh, vaccine hesitancy. Um, and I understand that you all have been working through millions of social media messages related to vaccinations. Talk a little bit about that project. Sure. And to set the stage for that um, and for our unique capability in this area, um, we share skills with other social media experts in the field who are focused on understanding their intended audiences and learning how frequently social media messages are being posted and shared. Um, however, we have a unique capability and that's assessing what people seem to be understanding about the health topics. So what we bring to the table is that we're public health trained professionals who have a unique understanding of health subject matter and what health agencies like the CDC are looking to learn about how people understand or don't understand certain health information. So we've used some different social media listening software tools that okay. um, they typically perform something called sentiment analysis, um, which you're familiar I'm sure, that look at if people's messages use a positive or negative tone. Um, for example, the software's algorithm might say a particular message had an angry tone. Okay. Um, so that kind of software is designed for brands. Um, for instance, how much people like a certain brand of toothpaste or soft drink or whatever. Um, in public health, we're not focused on a company's brand. We're focused on people getting access to quality, credible health information right. that's backed by evidence. So our analysis is going deeper than what's typically involved in social media measurement applied to a specific company. Okay. So in this particular project, um, we've used this kind of software to gather data on vaccination um, related to childhood vaccinations such as measles, flu vaccinations, and the HPV vaccination. So we're looking at um, social media messages on Twitter um, in particular where people are having conversations about um, these kinds of topics. So more specifically, we've been looking at kinds of posts that take a positive or negative stance about a particular topic, and in this case, about vaccination, being for or against it, or maybe being neutral. Um, and then we've been looking at kinds of posts that are being shared the most frequently. You know, there's lots of posts out there that don't get a whole lot of traction. They might just, you know, just be somebody's particular opinion, but no one's really sharing it. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at posts that are getting a lot of traction. 
and trying to figure out what is going on with this kind of message that makes it um, shared so much. Right. Then we're looking at, you know, trends that are occurring over time. Like if there are, if there's a spike in some type of message in a particular month, you know, is that related to something going on um, in the the bigger environment? Um, like say an outbreak or something like that. Right. And then right. we're we're looking at the authors of the message. You know, who are the people whose tweets are getting shared the most? How many followers do they have? Um, are they an individual or are they someone posting on behalf of an organization? So here we're trying to understand you know, the impact that different people's posts may be having. So we also looked at geographical locations where different kinds of, a post, of posts are occurring. Um, another thing we've looked at um, is the message tactics that are being used. So for instance, you know, are people asking questions? Are authors using language or a tone that's instructing others to take a particular action? Like in this case, you know, get vaccinated or some sort of action, learn, go to this link to learn more information. Um, are people posting headlines from credible news sources or linking to websites that are focused on providing opinions or maybe there's misinformation based on some theories people may have. Um, and then, you know, also are people telling personal stories? You know, a lot of people will share their personal experiences online um, and they'll also describe other people's experience as well. So we're looking at stories. So those are just a few examples of some message tactics sure. that people are using. And, um, We've also been exploring ways to um, automate um, how we um, code the posts. So our our team takes these posts and we um, we code them into different categories um, right. to be able to further assess things. So you know we're interested in in how we would um, work to build an algorithm. Um, that would effectively code the posts. So we've been working on that. That seems really cool in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot to it. So sure. um, you know, that's um, something that's emerging. So right. I think in general, you know, we'd like to continue building on what we've learned from this project and other projects um, to keep uh, building our capabilities in social media listing and analysis. And, you know, we like to monitor conversations on, on different health topics kind of in general to just keep a pulse on what's going on in people's um, minds over the long term, kind of an ongoing thing. And then there's also we're interested in monitoring shorter term events that like public health emergencies, you know, for instance, the measles outbreak, you know, right. or, or 
many outbreaks and um, right. you know looking for trends associated with that so that if you can you know identify misinformation um, early then you know we can make recommendations to our customers to correct that information okay it sounds like there is so, a Sorry, I was just going to say, it sounds like there's a lot involved in that process, but it could be extremely beneficial to our customers who, um, like the CDC and others, who, who we work with on health messaging. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, we're trying to use the evidence of social media to inform, you know, how they um, strategize and, you know, first there's defining the types of audiences that they're trying to reach, you know, which we call audience segmentation. And then there's the crafting of messages um, that respond to misinformation out there or, you know, providing a certain emphasis of um, specific health information for people. And then also disseminating their social media messages in places that make sense for reaching their intended audiences. Wow. I, I guess I didn't realize there was so much involved in the social listening process, but it makes total sense to, to think not only are you measuring things like the tone and the what kinds of messages, but then where do you insert if that's the correct word, um, you know, co co either correct messages or evident the evidence-based messages that we strive to um, help our customers with. Yes, yeah, and it's you know it's a very big picture issue because you know with public health we're looking at everybody. <laughs> right. You know we're right. leaving no we're leaving no one out, and it's <laughs> you know it's new territory for um, you know how do you um, how do you do this for everybody? You know, a, a particular company can say, well, here are my customers, you know, or my potential audience. How do I reach this segment of the total population? You know, and, and we're trying to look at the whole population, of course, segment the population as well. But, yeah. you know, the topics on social, on these health topics, are broad and people have a broad understanding of them. So, um, you know, it, it involves a lot of uh, research and, um, and, you know, trying to apply the best um, social science, um, our, our understanding of social science research literature too, you know, to try to figure out ways to inform our customers to take strategic directions. Right, right. Um, Diane, I know at some point a report um, with findings will be created of um, the findings from your from your social listening work on the vaccine issue. Um, any idea at this point when that might happen? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Um, well, we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Um, uh, whenever well, it happens, thank you. I, I'm sure there's, you know, dollars, <laughs> a dollars issue attached to that a little bit. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? Right, exactly. Well, I wanted to thank you for taking a few minutes to talk about social listening with us and uh, just thank you for your time. Okay, thank you for your help with this. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together.